Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I would like to invite you, please, to take your Bibles and open them to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. But in your hearts, revere Christ Jesus as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. As people of faith, I submit to you today that if we would live out this verse, it would have a huge impact on the ills of our culture and a really a, a pathway to personal fulfillment and joy. I'm waiting on my slide here, but we're going to go to the next part. <laughs> Are we up, gentlemen? Oh, there we go. Look at Peter's first charge. But in your hearts, revere Christ Jesus as Lord. Do you remember when you truly did that? I think the Apostle Peter probably did, and his reverence began with failure. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> He knew about Jesus before in, in, in the Gospels. He made all kinds of bold claims. said, I'm here, I got your back, I love you forever, but then what happened? He caved. And through that misery and that hurt, we see the Peter in later in Acts, and we see the Peter in, in, in writing these letters. So again, through that misery, he became his everything. He says these words through pain. I think it's a time in our life when we truly understand that God loves us. It's not theory. It's not thought. We get it in our soul, and we know we're saved. We rest in our salvation. We believe and know we're going to heaven. And because of that, we just don't want to know about Jesus. We want to know him. A gentleman named Ravi Zacharias tells how he knows when that moment occurred in his life. He was from India, caste system, no hope. And he says, finally, at age 17, he decided he was going to take his life. So he drank a bunch of poison. He's laying in the hospital bed, teetering near death, and a Christian missionary walks into his room and tells his mother, says, can I please read the Bible to your son? She said, no, get out of here. My son is near death. He needs rest. He said, no, ma'am, please understand. Your son needs God. She said, you have got to get out of here right now. You can't be here. He said, well, then would you do me a favor? Would you take this Bible and read it to your son? Ravi kind of nodded his head so the guy would leave the room. And he said, please start in the book of John. So she starts reading through the book of John. And Ravi says when she got to John chapter 14, verse 19, where Jesus says this, Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live as well. Ravi said it was almost like a lightning bolt went through his body when he heard those words. He said, Mother, read that again. She read it. He said, Give me that Bible. Please leave the room right now. And he said he spent hours upon hours meditating on that verse, thinking about it. And finally he said he cried out and said, Jesus, if you will give me hope again, I don't want to live. I want to die. If you will give me hope and make me want to live just like you do, I will serve you the rest of my life. Four days later, he walked out of that hospital and never looked back. Today, Robbie Zacharias is one of the most adamant defenders of the faith you will ever find. He's so articulate and true. Well, 
the apostle, I guess we don't have a slide. Oh, mine down here is not good. So the apostle Peter says this, but Paul, in showing his reverence, said this. He said, I can't see that all the way back there. <laughs> this one's not working. <laughs> he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes on the basis of faith. This is Philippians 3, 7 through 11. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participate in His sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow obtaining the resurrection from the dead. I think we can hear his passion and reverence for Jesus. Well, once we set apart and revere Christ in our heart as Lord, the next charge from Peter comes pretty naturally. He says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. The big fancy word for giving a reason is called apologetics. And guys, it simply means to define and defend why you live the way you live, what you're staking your life on. But you know, it seems like a lot of people of faith really struggle with this idea of apologetics and give an answer because they worry they don't know enough. They're not smart enough. They're going to be outdone by a non-believer. Well, my prayer is that maybe we can alleviate a little bit of that fear today. How we give an answer is going to take on different forms depending on the situation. And I want to share with you a couple of these in my life. Years back, I connected with a guy from high school named Glenn Watkins. We played basketball together in eighth grade in 1978 in Indianapolis, Indiana at School 112. Well, you know, guys, ladies, whenever you meet someone you haven't seen in a long time, what's really the first question you ask as an adult? What do you do for a living well he was into chemistry some kind of chemist and I said that I was a minister and I could see he wasn't too impressed by that answer my worldview is really what it was we're friends so we began to talk and dialogue and finally we got into an email back and forth and I finally said Glenn tell me why you believe what you believe give me your worldview I think friends it's important to listen first rather than talk we tend to talk too much I know I do but I'll tell you it was like he gave it to me with both barrels. I got detailed emails on memes theory, quarks, string theory, black holes, all kinds of stuff. And, of course, he talked about the religious, how, how religion has destroyed the world for so long, the Dark Ages, the, the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, Jim Jones in Georgetown, all the evil that Christianity and religion has done to the world. But mostly, he said, science has proven the Bible to be wrong and the Bible to be a myth and creationism to be a farce. So I listened all those times, and finally, after he got done, I said, well, Glenn, thank you for sharing. And, guys, I learned a lot <laughs> A lot of the stuff he said is true. Don't be afraid of science. But I told him, I said, can I share with you now why I do have a Christian worldview, why I believe what I believe? There's some logic to this too. He said, sure. The first thing I shared with him was the cosmological argument, which simply says the world exists. It's here. Did it just happen? For instance, when you see this little piece of equipment here, it's a thing, so you know what? What's your first thought? Did it just pop into existence? It was created, so there has to be a... Things don't just happen. So we talked about, then the, then the teleological argument, which asks, why is everything so complex? 
I saw once where the human eye has over a million nerves in it. Could that just spontaneously happen? We talked about spontaneous generation. And I saw a mathematician who once said, the odds of that happening, something popping from nothing, is 10 to the 60th power. It's almost a mathematical improbability. I talked to him about the religious experience argument. There's been millions of people throughout the centuries, some of the smartest people who ever lived, and they see that God is real. They've weighed the evidence, and they put their faith in Jesus, and they've trusted in him, and they've lived by grace through faith. Were they all lied to? Were they all just dumbed? Were they tricked? And then it comes down to the Big Bang. In essence, you know, if there was a bang, who pulled the trigger? (laughs) Does a gun shoot itself? And the answer is no. Well, we went through a ton more of this stuff. But finally, it came to the end. And I want to read to you the closing statement I gave to my friend when we got done. I said this. Again, Glenn, I cannot scientifically prove where God... Let me put... Yeah, you got that. I cannot scientifically prove where God came from. But you can't scientifically prove where the beginning matter came from. So in the end, each of our belief systems are personal faith choices based on what we believe to be the facts. However, in all of our disagreements, we do have one unifying truth. We both believe and have faith in something other than ourselves to explain the origins of life. Glenn, I say this in response to your last paragraph with no disrespect. But your comment that you deal in fact and I am led by emotion and disproven myths is off the mark. You are as emotional and passionate about your belief as I am mine, or you would not study and argue your worldview so adamantly. I appreciate and respect your intelligence, your drive, and the kind way you share your views and listen to mine. I pray I have spoken my beliefs with the same grace. This is my assessment of our discussions. The conclusion of my faith is Genesis 1-1, where the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The conclusion of your faith is that over a period of time, chance created something from nothing. We will respectfully disagree. Then I close with this. Jesus Christ saved and changed my life. I know when I die, I will rise again and be joyous and free for all of eternity because of him. I want the same for you, my friend. Jesus is the answer. I pray you will crown him as Lord of your life. When I get back to Indy, let's connect. Great to get together with you again, my friend. Now, I want to let you know that was pretty detailed, but that's not the norm. It's far from the norm in apologetics and giving an answer. In almost every situation I've ever done this in my life, I've not had to refute Darwinistic evolutionary theory. It's been centered around one question. Why? Why does God let evil happen if he's so perfect? Why did God let my loved one die? Why, if God is so perfect and great, create a world that is so messed up? How did we get here? And while, as Job found out, this answer to the question why God does what he does and allows what he allows is unanswerable. We're never going get to get that one. I guarantee you, friends, there are great answers to the human condition and the state of the world in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. Study that. Read it. You can answer just about every question someone's going to have about these situations. But I don't want to go there. I want to stay with 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Notice what he says. But in your hearts, revere Christ Jesus as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But, 
Do this with gentleness and respect. I got to tell you, friends, never in a second did I see my dialogue with Glenn as an argument to be won or a debate to be won. I wasn't trying to convince him of anything. And I was guaranteed of this. I had no illusions of grandeur that my articulate explanations of the faith was going to convert him from humanism to theism. Glenn was my friend, and I could tell my friend was lost. I just wanted to tell him about the man who saved my life and reformed me now and will reform me for all of eternity in goodness and grace. But I wanted to do it with love and gentleness and respect. I got to tell you, friends, logic is good. God asked us to use our brains. We should study, and there are lots of things out there that can give explanations for why you believe what you believe. But in the end, like I told Glenn, it's always going to come down to faith. His explanation and mine are going to come down to what do you believe? I believe in Jesus Christ. I stand on that. I'm not afraid to say that. Guys, understand, reason's not good, is good. God expects us to use our brain, but ultimately facts and figures and arguments will never convert the human heart. The Apostle Paul knew this clearly. As he said, look what he said in Romans chapter 2. He said, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing, listen to this, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Not his wrath, not his anger, not you better do this or you're going to burn. What leads us to repentance? It's God's kindness. Friends, we need to speak about the truth that if a person does not accept Jesus Christ as Lord, they will go to hell. That's the option. It's not, it's not good. But if we tell people the truth and not tell them through fear and anger and you better do this, but look at what God did for us, his kindness, his love, his grace, his mercy, his forbearance. If we show them that and let them see that, a loving Heavenly Father, we can be guaranteed it can do something powerful you know it's sin it's selfishness and depravity we have this but in spite of all that romans 5 8 says this god demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us what an amazing truth amen church he doesn't say when we cleaned ourselves up and we made ourselves right we got moral we got religious we started going to church we started reading the bible then god cleaned us up while we were still in our sins and struggling, Jesus gave the greatest gift for you, for me, for Glenn, and everybody else. That fact alone should cause us to revere Christ Jesus in our hearts with joy and grace. Want to shout what we've been given from the rooftops, but realizing that we were lost at one time too. We were just like them, so we never come with that studious, how dare you not believe that, you heathen. We come with kindness and grace. Because we were in their shoes too, and we want them to receive the great love and forgiveness that we have gotten ourselves. You know, a question that people of faith should continually ask ourselves is this Are we living a life so different? At home, at work, at school? Guys, here's a big one today on social media. Are we living a life so different that people who don't know Jesus and don't believe in Jesus? would ask us what's different about us, would see something unique and want what we have. I've shared with you before that that's what happened to me. I saw the way my friend Alfonso Garza lived. I saw how distinct he was in word, in action, in deed, and in temperament from all of us, all of us other young airmen at Eglin Air Force Base in 1986. And when I asked him why, what's different about you, man? He didn't hesitate with a smile to tell me he is a servant of Jesus Christ. 
that Jesus loves him, that Jesus saved him, and Jesus is the final authority and the guide for his life, and that's why he has such joy. He tries his best. He's not perfect. He's not holier than thou. He tries his best to do what God says, to be the person Jesus wants him to be. We all saw it, and that brought him such joy. You know, I, again, in my conversations with Glenn, I wanted him to see kindness in me. You know, and as I taught to Garza for that year, because it was a year process before I finally got my knucklehead together and was baptized into Christ. In all the things he said to me, I never once felt condemned, belittled, or demeaned, or made to feel stupid. Why I didn't really believe in Darwinistic humanism. I believed in me. <laughs> I was my final authority. God made the world for me to have fun and party. <laughs> That's what I thought life was all about. But guess what? One of my greatest blessings was when I learned I was wrong. <laughs> but he never made me feel belittled, condemned, or demeaned. With his countenance or answers, only respected, valued, and befriended. Friends, Fonz lived out First Corinthians or First Peter three fifteen. He found joy, and it sure changed my life. I want to share with you as we close a modern day recent example of this situation. What's the old saying? Ask for forgiveness before you ask for permission. <laughs> I'm going to tell a story about a friend today. My friend Wilma Cunningham is going through a transition right now that's not that fun. And you guys know in life when we have those, what do we tend to get focused on? Who do we focus on? Ourselves and the sadness and stuff like that. Well, Miss Wilma had a lady come stay with her. And, you know, Miss Wilma was as kind and gracious to her. And she went through her normal routine. She just reading her Bible. And this lady says, would you read the Bible to me? And Miss Wilma started reading the Bible to her. And she started asking questions. And Miss Wilma started answering some questions. And then she invited me into this conversation. Remember, sometimes, friends, it's okay to invite somebody else in if you maybe get something you don't, you're stuck on. So we've sat down a few Saturdays, Bibles open, me, this sweet lady, and Miss Wilma. And we start out, and, and most of the questions centered on what? On why? We spent a lot of time in Genesis 1 through 3 talking about why the world is the way it is, why human beings act like they act. Great answers there. I encourage you to get in there and study. It's going to be really powerful. We go through the process. We start talking about this, the gathering, the ecclesia, the church. You know, we go to Hebrews 10.25 and talk about what it means to come together. Not that you better do this. You're going to get a letter saying you're in trouble for not coming. Why would we want to miss something like this with the family and body and encouragement and all those things? But then we got to the point of, you know what? Every single one of us have blown it. Every single one of us are lost, and salvation and grace is only found in Jesus Christ. We get to Acts 2.38, and we walk through. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this was my favorite part. I asked this sweet lady, I said, you know, have you done this? She believed in Jesus, don't get me wrong, but she'd never cemented it in this decision. I said, have you done this? And she said, no. And then Miss Wilma, in the softest, kindest voice with a smile said well Vera, I guess it's about time you got baptized didn't it <laughs> and she just smiled and received that with such grace and said yes ma'am <laughs> now she's still thinking right now but the point is it's not our call to make somebody do something Miss Wilma lived out this verse when she came there in a tough time she still reveres Christ in her heart she's still in her word she's still kind she said that about her whole family 
Vera told me that all of them have been so kind to her. It's a tough time for them too, but they're still living in the grace and kindness of Jesus, revering him in their heart. And then it came time to give an answer, and she did. And again, you can invite somebody else into this, but she received all of this with such grace and kindness, and you can see that's in her spirit right now. I told Vera, I said, I got the key to this church. I said, you called me at 10 o'clock at night. I said, we'll get, Miss Wimble will be there, and we will baptize you. But the point is, friends, she lived out that verse, that will preach. Amen, church? As usual with me, the invitation is going to have two aspects to it. And the first one, I'm going to speak to us as people of faith. Believers in Jesus, I want to encourage you to memorize 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. I want to encourage you to internalize 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. I want you to live in the power of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And watch what it does to your environment, but more importantly, watch what it does to you, no matter the context or situation in life. But if you're here today, And maybe you believe in Jesus, but you have never centered Jesus in your life. You've never made that decision to die to yourself and be baptized into him. I pray that as you have been in this room, you have sensed our reverence. We love Jesus with all our heart. Amen, church? He is our everything. He is our guide. He is our authority. We want to be like him. We want to act like him. We want to talk like him in every aspect of our life. Maybe you've heard an answer today. If you, if, you didn't, if you got more questions, I guarantee you there are tons of people in this room who will take all the time you need to answer those questions to help you make that decision to follow and live for Jesus. But I pray you have received this with kindness, with gentleness, and respect, just as Peter commands us to do. But I have to tell you this. This is not a game. You know, this is serious stuff. There is life and there is death. In Jesus, there's life. Out of Jesus, there's death. So I want to encourage you, if you do not know Jesus and have never been baptized, today is the day of salvation. Come up here right now. Make that public confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Put him on in baptism. Be filled with his Holy Spirit. Be free. Start to live out these principles and really live. God bless you. And again, if anybody has not done this, do it right now. Come forward as we stand and sing.